Well, good afternoon again, everybody. Uh, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me, or at least thanks for not chasing me away just yet. Um, how about I pray for our time together? Heavenly Father, we pray that as we dig into your word, that you would give us eyes uh, to see the wonderful things that you have done, and you give us eyes to see your incredible character. And help us to see and know Christ more truly as we dig into your word that testifies to him. Uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure if you remember, uh, but shortly after ScoMo finished up as Prime Minister, he actually did a sermon where he said this. It should be on the screens. He said, we don't trust in governments. And that's why we had a little bit of our... Uh, seditious conversations just before. Uh, but people are thinking, hang on, you know, is what's with ScoMo? He was calling us to trust in the government moments earlier, and now he's saying, don't, we don't put our trust in governments. You know, is he just taking pot shots on the way out? Is he just trying to sort of have the last laugh or something? Now, if you've looked into any articles where it talks about this sermon... ScoMo does say a lot more than just we don't trust in governments. He's actually saying it in the context of contrasting trusting in governments to trusting in God for our future and for our hope. So I think what he said is not quite as bad as the mainstream media made it out to be, which, you know, it's kind of always the case, isn't it? But it does raise a good question. Are human authorities reliable? Should we trust in them for our future, for our security, for our happiness, for anything. And the reason I bring this up, because today in 2 Kings, we're going to see these sort of political, international level things playing out. We're seeing Israel caught up in a clash of kings, in a clash of rulers and nations. And amongst it all, we're going to be seeing that God is the one who is in control. We're going to be seeing that God is the one that we can trust in. Well, the last few chapters, uh, we've been seeing in 2 Kings how God provides for people through his prophet Elisha, right? So that's a little bit of a recap. And he's been doing it in a bunch of sort of private ways, right, with individuals. So we saw the widow and the, and the oil. And we saw the Shunammite uh, woman who did, couldn't have a child. And then she was able to have one miraculously. And then even when he died, she received him back from the dead. We saw the story of the deadly stew which might have been a bit close to home for some of us. And we saw the healing of Naaman the leper. And they're all kind of these private stories in some ways. But to give you a bit of the lay of the land of chapters 6 and 7, well, we kind of start with a small story again, and then we kind of move up from there. We move to this medium story, which was the Bible reading, and then we have this big story uh, from midway chapter 6 to the end of chapter 7. Now, we're only really going to be looking at that middle story, the one that was read out for us by Mel. But I just want to touch on briefly this first story. So if you look on in your Bibles, it would be great to have them open. It should be something about an axe head. Because you see, the, the, the chapter, it's really interesting that it starts with another one of these tiny concerns, right? A private matter. And we're not going to look at it in much depth, but it's another story of provision. It's another story of God providing for his people. You see, I'll, I'll summarize the story for you briefly. The sons of the prophets were building a nice log cabin down by the Jordan River. 
uh, an axe head fell into the river. And the guy freaks out, right? It was borrowed. It was a rental. But yet again, God provides through his prophet Elisha. He makes the axe head float to the surface and it's returned. And it's interesting because I wonder if almost it's the smallest miracle out of those provision ones saved for last. And I think it's just a little reminder that even in the most seemingly trivial or insignificant aspects of our lives, God cares. He provides. And it's really interesting that you've got such a tiny little thing because then the camera zooms out to this huge issue. You go from an axe head to what we just had read out to warring kings and rulers and nations. Right? It's as if we were just talking about Lama losing a power tool and now suddenly we're jumping to Russia versus Ukraine. Okay? That's the scope that we've just jumped in a couple of verses. Now, this was already hinted at back in chapter 5, verse 1. That was last week when we met Naaman. And he was a commander of the Aramean army, right? But 5, verse 1 told us that Naaman was a really important guy because through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Aram. And so we've already been told that God's in control of these international affairs. But what was sort of hinted at then is now the main focus of our passage today. That takes center stage. And we see that God is not just a God who looks after his people in a little patch of land, but that he is the one and only God who rules all nations. Well, we're at point one in the handouts. If you're, if you're playing along on the handout, point one, God frustrates humankind's futile plans. So we're transported from the Jordan River. Oh, sorry, just back a slide. We're transported from the Jordan River to the war room of the king of Aram. So that's, if we forget where they are, that's Israel's northern neighbours. And they're plotting, right? They're scheming where they're going to attack. But Israel is always one step ahead, right? They've got the super weapon. They've got Elisha, the prophet, the faithful prophet of Yahweh. And Elisha, he keeps warning the king where the Arameans are going to attack. And so all the schemes, all the firepower in the world amounts to nothing for Aram. And understandably, their king is furious. So have a look at verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. He says, tell me, which one of us is for the king of Israel? Right? He thinks they've got a mole. He thinks they've got a spy in their midst. We've got a political thriller going on here. But his servants protest, right? They go... And I'm, I'm not really sure how they know this exactly. Maybe Elisha's reputation is, is getting big here. But the servants of the king of Aram say this. They go, verse 12, No one, no one's for the king of Israel, my lord. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in your bedroom. How do you beat that? The super weapon Elisha. Now, I watched a video uh, earlier in this week, it just came up on my Facebook, of Bill Gates playing chess. So Everyone know who Bill Gates is? The billionaire, the tech genius, the mastermind. He was playing chess against Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen. How long do you think he lasted? <laughs> well, it took Magnus, he did better than that, it took Magnus 11 seconds to beat him. Right? He's one of the most successful, powerful men in the whole planet. 
and he's absolutely humbled. And actually, he was, he was getting interviewed by a guy, and they said, now, you're such an intelligent man. And Bill Gates said, well, not when I'm around this guy, to the chess grandmaster. I think that's what we see going here. We see powerful people, right? Kings of nations waging war, and they're just shown up, right? Child's play. God is always a step ahead. It's a great little series of events, but I think it's showing us this point. You can't outsmart the one who knows all things. You can't catch him by surprise. You can't attack his people without his knowing or his allowing. And I don't know about you, but I sort of have Psalm 2 playing in the back of my mind as I read these verses. It's almost like Psalm 2 could be the background music in this scene if we were watching it as a movie. I'll read the verses out from Psalm 2. It says, Why do the nations rebel and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. You see, God mocks the petty, futile plans of people. And I think this is really profound because there are some very important, intelligent, powerful people out there and throughout history, and many of them who have treated God and treated Christians with contempt. Isn't it interesting that no matter what they plan or think or come up with, they're not catching God by surprise. They're not sneaking up. They can't can't ever stop God working for the good of his name or the good of his people. I've found this a really comforting thing personally as well. I mentioned I'm heading back to Victoria. And actually in Victoria, I'm not sure if you've been following things, but they've got some really concerning laws uh, for Christians. Um, this is regard to sort of some of the anti-conversion therapy laws. But basically, there is potential that people teaching truths from the Bible could be prosecuted in Victoria. So I'm, I'm nervous about what some people with power there could do. Uh, I've got a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I, you, know, you can get a criminal conviction from just teaching some biblical truths. That really scares me. Or maybe we, you know, we turn on the news, I'm sure we all do this, and you just see another nation warring against another one. And things in Russia, you know, heating up, right. A press of a button could change a lot of the world. It's scary stuff. But we have a sovereign God who is never outsmarted. People can't surprise him, can't sneak up on him. And he works all things, even the plots of wicked people like the king of Aaron, for his and our good. We're at point two on your outlines, God's unseen protection. Now, as the story continues, the military failures continue. The Aramean king, he just failed to attack Israel, but now he thinks he's going to have a better shot going after the prophet. Remember, the prophet that can hear the words he says in his bedroom. So how's that going to turn out for him? Stay tuned. So he sends his army to capture Elisha. And I just love the picture of verse 15. Have a look at verse 15 with me. Elisha's servant gets up early. You know, cup of coffee in his hand. The Dothan morning herald. Steps out on the porch in his Ugg boots. I'm, 
That's not in the text exactly. I'm reading between the lines there. And there's an army on his doorstep. Right? He's surrounded. Look at it. He discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. Right? Chariots were the army tank of the ancient world. So imagine finding them on your doorstep. And presumably with great desperation, he turns to Elisha, his master. He says, oh, my master, what are we to do? He's dumbfounded. I mean, what would you do if you stepped out in the morning to find an army around you? Guns pointed at you. Yet, his master calmly replies, verse 16, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. And if I was the servant at that stage, I'd probably be thinking, all right, Elisha, you probably should have gone to Specsavers. I'm not sure what you're seeing. It's two of us versus a whole army. But Elisha replies, no, you should have gone to Specsavers, right? Look at verse 17. Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And this is the sort of stuff that just gives you goosebumps, right? It's the, you know, backs against the wall, no way out, hopelessly outmanned and outgunned, but then, hallelujah, right out of nowhere. It's like, I don't know if there's any Lord of the Rings fans here, but you know, the Battle of Helm's Deep. And what does Gandalf say? He says, look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day at dawn, look to the east. Against all odds, an impossible battle, certain defeat is then suddenly turned around. And the servant sees actually that there is this great army with him, for him and Elisha. I think what's really fascinating is that Jesus could see the exact same thing right before he died. I wonder if your minds went there when you heard that. As Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember what he said. His disciples were you know, trying to put up a little bit of a fight. But he said, put your sword back. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? A legion was about 6,000 troops. So just ready to go were 72,000 angels. You see, when it comes to power, when it comes to strength, God doesn't lack resources. Just as you can't outsmart the one who knows all things, you can't outgun the one who has all power. And I love passages like this because it's one of those moments, right, where it's like the curtains on reality are drawn back and you get to see how things really are. Because you see, like we always prefer what we can see. We prefer tangible things that are right in front of us. You know, it's our situation, our circumstances, whatever it might be. But it's actually ironic. Often the things right in front of us are the things that blind us to how things really are. But here God opens the eyes of the servant to see reality in its fullness. He's not alone. God is with him. And this is the Christian life, isn't it? You know, here in Sydney, we thankfully don't have literal armies on our doorstep. But we do face the constant threats and attacks of many enemies. See, the, the Bible tells us 
that we do face many enemies. We face the world, sin, and the devil. We might feel very alone as Christians or belittled as Christians. We might feel very powerless and weak and small and insignificant and hopelessly outmanned and outgunned. But actually, eyes of faith show us that that couldn't be further from the truth. And it's a a simple little thing to draw out of the passage, but Elisha's words to his servant are words for us. Don't be afraid. Or as Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. You see, it's with eyes of faith that we know that Jesus, by his death and his resurrection, has already overcome sin, the world, and the devil. Those who believe in him, we we don't need to fear, right? Our sin can't condemn us because Jesus has already paid the price for it. The world can't destroy us because our lives are already hidden with Christ. And though the body might be destroyed, we will live forever with him. And the devil can thrash around all he wants, but he's already been cast down and he can no longer accuse us before the Father. So even when it looks like we're losing the battle, and Jesus does tell his disciples that they will suffer, we know that Jesus has already won the war. We can take comfort in those unseen victories in the face of many challenges, can't we? And we know that for those who are God's children, for those who trust in him, no one can ever truly prevail against us if God is for us. Well, we're at point three on your handouts, humiliation and deliverance. Now, we sort of come to the wrapping up of this little episode, which, as we see, ends in humiliation for enemies and deliverance for Israel. Have a look with me from verse 18. Now, Elisha prays, and interestingly, that's pretty much the main thing he does in a lot of the, in this chapter, which keeps reminding us that it is God who is the one really acting here. But Elisha prays, please strike this nation with blindness. Then he leads them along, sort of like a pack of sheep or something. You know, this way, guys. And then he prays again, just like with his servant, he prays that God would open their eyes now. And not to see heavenly protection but to see defeat. You see, he's led them right into the capital of Israel. He's led them into Samaria. And now those soldiers, they're the ones who are surrounded. Now, the king of Israel, he's pretty eager to show off his strength. I wonder if you heard that in the Bible reading. But Elisha stopped him. He says, you know, verse 21, My father, should I kill them? I will kill them. But we see, no, Elisha stops him. And he tells the king of Israel, no. Feed them, give them a feast, and then send them on their way. It's kind of some interesting details, isn't it? I'm not sure if that's whether you thought the story was going to go or not. And I think God is definitely showing mercy to the Aramean army here. Uh, he, He spares them, right? He sends them on their way. But I actually think it's the ultimate power move, what he's doing here. I think it's something that actually shows his power even more than just wiping them out. You see, they are such a non-threat that he just lets them go. 
I think it's actually quite a humiliating defeat for them that despite their best efforts, remember they were setting out to capture Elisha and then where do they find themselves? Captured in Samaria. Yet they are mercifully spared, which as we see in verse 23, it brings peace. And look, I think the point is this. Once again, it underlines you don't mess with God. You can't mess with God. But it also shows us the flip side of seeing God's protection. Because did you notice how just as Elisha's servant had his eyes open by God to see his protection, that Aramean army needed their eyes open to realise it was game over, realise the jig was up. See, they'd been captured. And I think that's a, that's a challenge for us today because I think some of us will need our eyes opened to realise God's great unseen protection, to realise that Christ is already victorious and if God is for us, then who can be against us? But I think there might be some of us as well, or at least we're no friends who this is true of, that need to have our eyes open to see that we can't outplay God. You see, there will be a day when rejecting God, opposing his people, and ignoring his anointed one will be exposed for what it is. Let me warn you, that day will not be a feast and then go on your merry way. It will be a humiliating defeat when people are exposed and revealed to see who they've been rejecting, ending in defeat. But as we see as well, it will be a day of deliverance, a day of victory for those who have faithfully stood by and trusted in God. And look, just to say, while we're not going to sort of touch on the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7, it is worth reading that in your own time, because once again we see those things playing out there. We see a humiliating, we see a humiliating defeat for the enemies of God, and we see a glorious victory for God's people. But to wrap things up, what have we seen? Well, to return to our initial question, should we trust in governments? I'm sure you guys had some good conversations about that. But I hope that we can see in our passage tonight that the plots of human authorities and powers are futile when compared to God. See, God can't be outsmarted. The plan of of some king or ruler will not catch him by surprise. He can't be outnumbered or outgunned. And so we've seen, as we've sort of zoomed out from God caring and providing for people, we've seen that these international affairs, nations and kings and rules, aren't something that are beyond God's control, that aren't beyond his sovereignty. Just as the axe head wasn't too small for God, neither are the warring nations too big. And so once again, when we maybe turn on the news or something, when we hear of another war, or we see another ruler doing terrible things, we don't need to be afraid, do we? We can pray that God would open our eyes to see things as they really are. To see that God is in control. To see that Jesus has already defeated our worst enemies and that he is with us always. And as we've also seen, we've seen that God will deliver those that trust in him, but we've had that warning at the end, haven't we? That he will humiliate those who oppose him. 
Well, how about we pray in light of these things? Please join me in praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how you reveal yourself to us. And we do pray, Lord, just as you opened the eyes of Elisha's servant, that you would open our eyes to see your glorious protection. We pray especially that you'd hope to open our eyes to see that you have already won the victory in Christ and that we need not fear any man, that we need not fear any power or ruler. We thank you, Father, that you are in control of all things and we pray that you would help us to trust in you and share in your wonderful salvation. And Lord, we also just pray for those who do not know Jesus. We pray, Father, that they would have their eyes opened to their situation and come to trust in him as well. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.